Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. He recorded generally at PW's office, but yet, yet again, we're kind of spread around the, the metropolitan area of New York City. <laughs> I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of The Fanatic, uh, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at Comics Beat, the comicsbeat.com, the news <laughs> side of comics culture. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on social media, we're at Facebook.com slash PW Comics World. And don't forget, you can leave us a rating or a comment on any of these various mediums. You can tweet at us on Twitter or give us a rating or thumbs up, whatever you like to do, because we love to hear from our listeners. You know, you know, send us a flash signal one with a mirror, whatever. You know, you got email, you got social media. Talk to us. Yes, and you know, shout out to our one listener, uh, listener Mike R, who emails me all the time and tells me how our sound is. So, Mike, we appreciate you listening and you uh, warning us when we don't sound good. So, uh, you know, it is absolutely we we don't always it doesn't have to be positive necessarily. If you you know, yeah, tell us we, we what like you all think. comments. We like all feedback. <laughs> we can <Yeah>. take it. <laughs> we like we like feedback. There we go. Well, well the only feedback we don't like is your voices would be better if you were male. In which case, yeah. no, I'm sorry, we're not going to <laughs> the heck with that. No. be less shrill. All right, this week on More to Come, musical chairs in comics publishing. But what we really want to talk about is New York Comic Con comes roaring back. And if we all sound a little bit bedraggled, it's because uh, Kate and I are both feeling a little under the weather uh, I, I've tested negative for COVID three times I Good. think it's just literally I think it's just exhaustion to be honest um, well it I was, mean really not exhaustion on my part um, not with the coughing and all but it's old fashioned con crud I definitely go. don't have COVID but a, you know getting sick at conventions is a tradition yeah. there's a vaccination yeah. for everything but the con crud yeah it's true. I, I, uh, I'm amazed. I felt so good during the con. Every day I'd wake up, you know, some days were brutal, 8 a.m. to midnight affairs, and, um, I felt really good during the con. I, you know, I guess it was just, uh, what's the word? Momentum, you know, just, uh, adrenaline, adrenaline, uh, cause it was so exciting to have New York Comic Con back. But yes. before New York Comic Con kicked off, there was, just a whole slew of announcements of, uh, you know, on the business side of comics. And, uh, Calvin, I know you, Rob Selkowitz, wrote one of them up for PW. Yeah, well, uh, Rob wrote up um, a piece about um, a basically a, 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 actually what looks, seems to be a very interesting um, uh, partnership between uh, Heavy Metal, the classic, um, a, you know, a magazine slash publisher, uh, that brought us epic, uh, European science fiction, Mobius, and so much more. Uh, and whatnot. A, a, a kind of new startup e-commerce platform that's built around selling collectibles and, uh, and all kinds of live selling communities. Uh, as I understand the deal, 
um, whatnot, which which apparently launched its own publishing program a little earlier in the summer or earlier in the fall. Um, they're taking over all of the publish the publishing side. They're going to take care of uh, production and printing and distribution in the direct market and in the book trade, as I understand. Uh, so this is very interesting. Uh, according to Matthew Medney, the Medney, the uh, the CEO um, of Heavy Metal, now uh, this is going to save them significant amounts of money, and I assume still deliver the same quality and the distribution reach that they expect. But we'll keep an eye on this. Yeah, we will, and also whatnot uh, is the you know one of several. Um, collectible kind of platform. And it's an auction house for, uh, you know, collectibles and like, but it's live. I mean, it's, it's like eBay, but it's more specialized, I guess. I mean, it's already valued at like, you know, hmm. uh, millions and millions of dollars. Hmm. Um, the, the, I'm looking on news here. It says the founders already bought a $15 million Los Angeles house. So. <laughs> this, uh, isn't that big, the first sign of like implosion, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a, uh, Sign of the times that these collectors platforms, uh, yeah, uh, shopping platform whatnot valued at nearly four billion dollars. And they have raised an enormous amount of money, uh, through, uh, venture funding. I think somewhere right. close to five hundred million dollars just in investment. Yeah. Well, let's hope this works out and it's not the Juicero of the future. <laughs> Good one. <Kate>. Yes. Good <laughs> one. Um, well, uh, so that anyway, it's kind of a change for heavy metal. And, uh, so then there was this, like, this slew of announcements where just before Friday, before New York Comic Con, Mike Martz left Aftershock as editor in chief, stepped down, hmm. said he had a new venture. And then on Monday, it was revealed he was going to take over the, as editor in chief at Mad Cave. And we've talked about wow. Mad Cave yeah. times here, up and comer. Uh, yes, absolutely. Paper cuts and uh, Martz, very respected mm -hmm. publishing comics publishing figure, will be overseeing all of their publishing efforts. And then over at, I'm trying to, I'm looking at the beat because I'm trying to keep up with all this stuff. Let me see. Okay. I'm looking at the beat too. <laughs> right. So then at, uh, aftershock, then they announced just a couple hours later that Brian Cunningham, who used to be the senior editor at DC, was going to take over as editor chief, and then former IDW CCO Chris Ryle was also signing on as a consultant for them. Wow. Uh, so, and My then, head is spinning. <laughs> right, it is. And then just to spin a little bit more, then Scout Comics, yes. uh, another kind of up-and-comer, announced yeah. that James Pruitt would be re coming back to the company's publisher. Now, James Pruitt is twin brother of Joe Pruitt, who runs Aftershock. So it's like Puma and Adidas, you know, was founded <laughs> by these two brothers. And... um they were Charlie Stickney was stepping down as editor in chief, and Richard Rivera was taking on the new editor in chief role. So I think that uh, publishers of a certain size, I think we've covered it, uh, yeah. all of that. I think you did an outstanding um, job. I could not have done that um, well, rundown that um, you just did. Well, uh, I, my... I, you know, that's <laughs> my better. But then uh, just today, I announced yes. one more. Uh, I'm looking for the, cause I don't even remember all the names of this. Well, but, uh, I've Z2, got it in front of me. If that, it, yes, I do have it. Well, there's been a change at Z2 Comics. <clears throat> uh, it, it's, it's founder and, and eventual co-founder Josh Franco is out. Uh, Ashrita Reddy is, is the new publisher. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Kevin Meek 
uh, is now the chief executive officer. I, 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 I'm not sure of the whole structure there before, so I'm just going to go through through the current the new leadership. Josh Bernstein. Uh, let's get okay. Kevin Meek was the former CFO and general counsel. He's now the new CEO of Z2 Comics. Josh Bernstein is the former senior vice president, and he is now president. Uh, Alexi uh, Zellenberg was the former data scientist. He's now the CTO, the chief technology officer. And Courtney Menard, who is the former director of production, is now creative director. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, in other reporting that I've seen by Rob Salkowitz, uh, Josh Frankel, uh, who to, in my mind is the founder of the company. We've, I wrote about him uh, and the beginnings of the country uh, company many times. Uh, has resigned and is uh, looking to, um, as I understand it, looking uh, has new ventures that he's exploring. Woof! Boy, oh boy! I know it's, uh, it's you know. So like your head is spinning. I'm not even sure what all this means. You know, I uh, think yeah. I think I think it means that Mad Cave is definitely uh, on the rise. They're absolutely making a lot of moves. I mean, hiring yeah. Mike Martz is, and it seems it sounds like everything was very yeah. friendly between AfterShock and Martz. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't sound like anybody's too put out by this. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I talk, I actually talked to Josh Frankel today. Hmm. Uh, I'll just say, you know, so talking as friends, Calvin and I have both been friends with Josh yes. since he was, you know, yes. practically a teenager. So, uh, I will say he sounds very positive and, uh, happy with his new ventures. So, yeah. and I exchanged a couple of emails with him and I would agree with that. Yeah. So. Uh, move. Yeah, and so I consider him a friend. I consider him a close friend, and I, you know, yeah. so uh, and I and I hope he's okay, and he seems to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think as we get into talking about New York Comic Con, though, it, we may delve into a little bit of why all this is happening. But um, I mean, well, I barely, Kate, I never even saw you at the show. Calvin, you and I were like ships passing the night. But yes. uh, let's let's. I want to hear about your Comic Con. What did everybody do? How was your Thursday? Um, uh, Kate, you want to start? My New York Comic Con was unfortunately uh, a little bit. Um, I was on double duty. Um, so I was present on Thursday and I was present on Sunday. And then Friday and Saturday were just not happening for me. Uh, yeah. Um, but that's okay because I got yeah. two days of Comic Con and it was quite the thing. Um, I was really impressed by the fact that we finally had access to the new edition. I honestly got the impression that a lot of people didn't even know all those spaces were there, but there were a lot more spaces put aside for just convention goers to hang out. Yes. Like if you go up, if you went up to the anime lounge, I mean, I'm sorry, the Japan pop um they had a free mango library where they had like maybe like 10 or 20 people hanging out in beanbag chairs you know taking a break from the floor to read manga for free um and there were scores of titles yeah and it was the same general area as sort of the little cosplayer annex that i honestly think most members of the convention just didn't even know about because like there were who weren't cosplayers because they they had the cunning plan of distracting cosplayers from having photo shoots in the middle of the floor by giving them lots of great photo backgrounds of yes. the cosplay yeah. area. Um, 
which I was all in favor of. And there were just a lot of, there was like a, there's always been, for us as reporters, there's always been the press lounge and it's been fine and great and a wonderful place to relax from the convention. But there's never been anything like that for con goers, except for maybe like a tiny piece of the floor set aside. Um, but now there was a, a convention goers lounge up in that upper floor mm. near the cosplay stuff where they just had chairs and they had, you know, places to hang out and it really added something to add a little more space and give people some room to breathe. Uh, the convention room, the, the panel rooms were no longer just like down in basically the basement. Um, you know, they had bigger, larger, newer ones upstairs with a view of the green roof. It was, it was just nice. It was nice. And you never have known it if you just stayed on the convention floor. Yeah. yeah, I I used one a couple of changes from last year where they the new the new yeah the new tower was, oh, yeah the new tower was open Javits North was open but you couldn't get to it easily like they the blast door was closed and I understand it was because of some fire fire hmm. marshal um you know some some um something to do with you know fire walls hadn't been installed yet but now it was really kind of wonderful you could walk all the way to the end of the show floor and then just go right through to the new wing. Yeah. And then there was an escalator. You could go right up to the panel. So, the, you know, the traffic flow was great. And Kate, I couldn't agree more. I think opening up that whole fourth floor, I believe it's called the river pavilion. Exactly. Or the yeah. Palace, having it opened up and, you know, it was really lively and vibrant up there. You know, there's always just costumes and people taking photos and cosplay panels going on. So uh it was it was a very yeah. it was a very vibrant, lively space. It was like a cosplay press conference going on all day, <laughs> every day. No, it yeah. I mean, it really was. It was really kind of amazing. Uh and it was it's interesting. It it was as though that space was kind of undiscovered because, I mean, it got crowded up there one day, but mostly there was a lot of people, but it was space. You could move around. I love the manga reading uh, area. You're absolutely right. They had scores of, of, of volumes of, of all kinds of manga up there and giant beanbags. And, of course, I have to admit, the opening up of the – it seems like there's a new area. The new area up there had a giant bathroom addition that made it that, – that, to me, that was a huge thing. Well, because, the, you know, that, that, see, what they changed was that that area had traditionally been the press lounge, which, you know, look, when it was just us, you, you, as you probably recall, it used to be you couldn't even get up there yeah. unless you had a press badge yes. or, or had, you know, a special wristband that got you back there. And I, you know, I liked it. I liked having a little getaway. But, um, then they had the, what they call the interview rooms for the celebrities were up in that area. Now yes. they moved them over to the new wing yes. and there was another press room over there. Uh, so it opened up the whole thing. And that, so that bathroom was what they call a talent bathroom. Uh, Cause you know, you can't, t you know, tinkle with a, with the outlander. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so it, it being a big, beautiful bathroom opened oh, up to everybody. It's great. It was it was, I, yeah. I, that's the first place I went to every day. I would I get, to the, con, I get to the con. I get to the con. I go up there, and you're like good for the next, you know, two or three hours. It was yeah. great. It was great. <laughs> I tell you though, on Saturday afternoon, because they didn't look at badges at all to get up there, there was a line to get into that bathroom. And oh, really? Like, no, Paradise Lost. Oh God, yeah. No, they, I never had that problem, but yeah, that's. 
I was incredible. Well, I used to use the other bathrooms where that you know the other even the men's bathroom there was like one urinal and one commode, and there was like a goofy line coming out of that every day, and it (laughs) never I I didn't even look at it. I just walk right by it now and head to the promised land. Anyway, um, yeah, well, but I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just the area that used to be the press area. Um, Yeah, it was the whole. Yeah, yes, it was the vast acreage. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't just one floor. It was, it was, I was going, huh, I wonder where they put the panels. And then I saw these escalators soaring up into the heavens and it was like panels this way. (laughs) And I was like, huh. And so you sort of take the stairway to paradise as it were, rather than escalator. (laughs) escalator And it sort of zooms you up and you you know, you look out on a green roof where there are bees. And, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, that's right. In New York City, rooms, like yeah. Yeah. really big I, I'm sure if you listened to our comments last year after New York Comic Con, we would be talking about how happy we were that it had only half the people. And you know that the official attendance for this one is two hundred thousand people. That's a hell of a lot of people, yeah. and it did get very crowded. Yes, um, and. Uh, you know, it was the usual hubbub, yeah. but there were there were a lot there were a lot of wide open spaces too. So you could you could yeah. find a place to breathe. Yeah, it was yes that that's actually true. I mean, obviously, since uh, you know DC wasn't there, that that uh, south end of the thing was wide open. Um, uh, the, the the south end of, of the uh, Javits Center was wide open. But really, that River Pavilion was really nice. I have to admit, it was so open up there. Um, um, but, um, there was more, um, uh, you know, if I can jump ahead, I mean, um, the insider, uh, talks, uh, returned thanks to Heidi and, uh, Rob Salkowitz, um, really like, I guess talking to Christina Rogers, uh, well, we Rob, talked Milton into it and, and then, Milton as well and Milton, you know, and we, we bought the, the, we brought the people together because we just felt it was important. And I, I think it was a big success. I mean, you know, as, you know, as one of the organizers, it's not for me to say, uh, I mean, it definitely did fit my agenda or, you know, what I hope to get out of it, which was just a chance for the people in the industry to kind of yeah. sit down for a couple of hours and talk and hang out and listen to, you know, talk about the business, which we haven't had a chance to do in three years. So I thought from that standpoint, it was a big success. Yeah. Well, the industry is going to tectonic changes. Uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the plates, you know, the tectonic plates are shifting. We're seeing enormous change. We're seeing enormous, um, uh, enormous influx of new readers. Publishers are getting it. Everything is rearranging. Uh, um, this is a time when we need someone that does a deep dive into the analytics of it that Milton, Milton is, does so well. So I yeah. thought, you know, so he talked about, I mean, we're coming off of the, some of the most explosive sales of comics in the history of comics. Uh, yeah. it's completely changing, uh, the retail landscape. Uh, we, we've already talked about the changes that are happening here to the, to, to the publishing landscape. Uh, manga, and we're going to talk, we'll talk about this a little bit. Manga, uh, and middle grade and white graphic novels, um, have, tra- uh, completely transformed the economic marketplace. And as Milton Greep put it, 
the book format has done this and the the money flowing through the book channel is dominating publishers decisions going forward so well kate i kept saying to everyone that manga one i mean just yes. the massive oh, one yeah. piece i mean what did you think when you walked in i mean there was a giant dragons and you know luffy luffy and at bleed well, you know I mean, what you have to take into account is that there's always been a huge overlap between manga and anime and um merchandising and video games so a lot of those pavilions that were based on manga were only peripherally about manga, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yes. They were about the stuff, the, mm-hmm. the culture surrounding it. But that mm. doesn't make it any less fun for the manga fans. It's absolutely fun. But I just mean like, it's, it's, some of it bears the same resemblance, the same relationship to manga that say, uh, the MCU bears to comics. It, yeah. It's related. It's related. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that actually having that, um, Japan pop space or whatever they called it, um, that actually was not a t- tiny little hidey hole in the basement that no one liked was a nice step forward. Um, I feel like the con was sort of dumbed down a little by lack of panels. I mean, they're just, mm, yeah, they, every year, it's just like yeah. not many panels. It was very no brains, just vibes. Um, so, you know, the usual panel basis of the convention that that privileges, you know, English speaking creators as it would this being an English speaking country um, was just not really happening. So it kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. Um, It it made, I feel like the manga stuff come a little more to the fore. Well, I I think it, yeah, I think it did. But I mean, I think, you know, there were only uh, two manga publishers on the show floor. There was Viz, which had a huge, huge triumphal Mm -hmm. booth. And then Yen Press, which also had a very successful presence there. Um, and, you know, the rest was like Crunchyroll and um, Toei Animation Toy, mm. and, I mean, One Piece Tour, uh, Dragon mm-hmm. Ball Z. I mean, it was all these these brands that are based on manga. And, you know, I yeah. think the most profound thing I heard at the whole show was on I so on I'm jumping ahead a bit, but on Saturday I did my, you know, future of comics or comics in the post pandemic world panel mm-hmm. and I had uh Tom Ickle of Rocket Chip, uh Mark Siegel for a second, Layla Acker of Square Enix at Publishers uh PRH, uh Elizabeth Schaefer, the head of license publishing at PRH, and also Christina Merkler, who heads up Lunar distribution. Mm. I and mean, it sounds and like a great panel. I'm sorry I it missed was. it. <laughs> well, there's, the video is up on the Popverse site. Oh, and great. I also have audio, so I'm going to run a transcript of it if I can get my Oh, great. Crap yeah. together. I'll put it but on social media, too. Christina Good. said somebody bought up, you know, there was a lot of talk about manga, and Christina said when, you know, the manga boom comes from the anime boom, that while people were at stuck at home, they were watching a lot of anime, and she said when an anime drops, everyone runs out and buys the manga 
that does not happen when an MCU movie comes out or a DC movie comes out. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that is the most profound statement uh, and, of the and, last yeah. 30 years. And, you know, and one reason why well, it's profound I mean, is that it's there's a history of that because there we, we saw that trend and an earlier explosion of interest. No, I'm just saying that that was a that's this is a reoccurrence of a of a trend that was happening earlier in the manga boom during the mid 2000s but, when but manga I, was but also right, booming. But, but I but I I think it's just so remarkable. I mean, we do occasionally see a movie come out and it sells uh, a million copies of the comic. And you know, yeah, the one that comes yeah. to mind is um, two jumps to mind. Uh, one is Sin City, and the other is uh, the other is The Walking Dead. Hmm. Okay, yeah, and Obviously, The Walking Dead has sold tons and tons and tons of the comic yes. over the years. And as I always say, I'm sure Charlie Adler is a millionaire just from the sales of the books. Sure. And Robert Kirkman yeah. probably be a millionaire as well. And, um, you know, when Sin City, the movie came out, they sold tons and tons of those. Uh, oh, Sin absolutely. City books. Well, I, I think I can I can pinpoint why. Yeah. Hollywood doesn't trust comics for better or worse. A film adaptation of a comic is almost, not always, but almost always very, very different in both vibe and storyline. Yes. Yes. So even though it's got the same characters and it's about the same people, it's it's usually divorced enough from it that people don't feel like they're going to be able to get their fix by going out and buying the comics. Well, it's also, yeah. And you know, well, can reason- I just jump in and say, it's yeah. also when there's a clearly identified book, yeah. book format, it does happen. Uh, it, it, traditionally exactly. in the comics world, it doesn't happen with periodical comics. But this is a, this is a normal uh, phenomenon in the book world. And we're seeing it more and more in the comics world as well. When well, it's we a are, book- but yeah. But we're only seeing it when the material is reflective of of the, the, the creators, you know? And, I, I mean, The Boys right. is a perfect example, okay? And that is a big hit for Amazon. Yeah. And The Boys has been selling and selling because people do yep. want to go read the comic. And I just I, – I think it – I don't even know if a wake-up call is a strong enough word. I mean, it's just kind of a soul-searching moment to say why – you know, when I saw when I saw that that, that giant the giant Luffy because there was this thirty foot tall Luffy <laughs> yeah. balloon and I I can't stop thinking about it because it was so awesome the, the character so... the character from One Piece yes yeah yeah and it was just such a beautifully executed can I um, can I read the, the Deb Aoki's uh, sure. lead uh, for the the headline of her piece on manga at New York Comic Con which is manga wins New York Comic Con. Uh, the dominant presence of manga and anime-related exhibitors at this year's New York Comic Con uh, was a big change from years before the pandemic. Uh, before the pandemic, upon entering New York Comic Con and the ex- exhibition floor, the overall impression was that manga, anime, and Japanese pop culture are now overwhelmingly embraced by American fans and have claimed their place in North American popular culture. And I should say that this includes Korean comics, Chinese yes. comics, Asian pop culture across the board this has been going on for a long time and we're we're, what we're seeing now is the latest and the most profound expression of it yeah and but you know what impressed me the most about one piece is that it's one guy you know one guy sat down Mm. i'm I'm sure he has 
you know, dozens of assistants now. Achira Oda, the creator of One Piece. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he has lots of help now because, you know, he's a billionaire probably. But um, he... That, you know, Luffy just was a character he drew. I mean, it was just, it was just that intimate, intimate, you know, cartoonist art that created that. And I think, I think the reason why they don't run out and buy the Marvel and DC books is because they're corporate. You know, they're not. I, I I don't think it's just that they're corporate. I think it's that they're corporate and different from, Mm. from the movie. Right. So like, for example, when the Captain America 2 Winter Soldier came out, that graphic novel actually sold yeah. because there was something that had some deep tie to the movie that had a similar vibe. And, it, you know, if you watch, you know, a, a happy star spangled movie, you don't want a grim dark comic that where half yeah. the characters are different people yeah. or aren't even in it, you know, or vice versa. You are looking for, and you don't want a tie-in comic because that's different. That's not as good no, as everybody that, knows. No, and they're crappy. You want an, <laughs> yeah, you want an original. Yeah. You know, if there's an original work that is, that feels connected to what you saw on screen, whether or not it's a corporate property, if it's marketed as that and you know it exists, it will sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it, was, it just there just needs to be a clearly identified book format comic. That's the but, key. But it's not just, it needs to be clearly identified. When there's if it's not clearly identified, it's not going to sell. Yes, I do agree that there's feeling and that there's a a thread, but really, it's about being able to clearly identify well, but, you know, but, a but, book that's at but, the heart of the of the film. Well, that's true, but also it has to actually genuinely be at the heart of the film, yeah. right? Yeah. So clearly identified is important. But also, actually having a connection to what you saw on screen is important, too. Because after Winter Soldier came out, then Marvel tried branding some trades to be, like, link them to what was on the screen. And because thematically there really wasn't that much of a link, they didn't really sell better than usual. You need... It needs to have a a link, and it needs to be obvious to a consumer who doesn't know anything well, about let, the property. Let me throw and, something else. And hopefully else. obvious to the publisher's marketing department yeah. as well. Yeah. Let me throw something else in there. I think the other thing is just that when they do sit down to make an anime out of a beloved manga, which is about – I'd say it's about half. You know, about half of the greatest anime are based on manga – at about half, or you know, like Neon Genesis Evangelion or Mobile mm-hmm. Suit Gundam, are original. But when they do do a Death Note or a mm. Bleach or a Naruto, it's really close. It's an adaptation of the manga. Yeah, they don't sit down and they don't say, "Oh, how can we improve this story?" Right? Yeah, they're no, like, they, "Oh, yeah. they, they trust it's it. a yeah, they yeah. trust they, they trust it. To, yeah, they, they trust, trust the, the material. Yeah, it. yeah. Wow. Like, I, no, I agree with you. For better or worse. American movies very, very rarely trust the material. Yeah. And I mean, they change it a lot. And sometimes it's for the better, but sometimes it's, while perfectly good, like you don't really know why they bothered to change it. You're like, well, I mean, these uniforms are cool, but the ones in the comic were fine too. Why did you just not do that? Right. 
And and I I guess the point that I'm also getting at is just like a lot of the great manga were just some kid, you know, some 25 year old kid was just sitting down mm-hmm. and making their manga. It wasn't that they had, you know, I, I mean, this is going to be the subject of you know 25 podcasts, and we should get Deb and Erica Friedman on to talk about it because they're the experts. But you know, it wasn't necessarily that the editor sat down and said, "Oh, this will really improve your story." You know, there there were just some kid making their manga or you know maybe they had interned with another mangaka or something but you know they're they like it's 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 very direct and and the, the other thing well i will say that direct as it is there are definitely still if it's not direct editorial interference right although I yes suspect sometimes it is there's definite market interference like yes. suddenly yeah. everything's isekai Suddenly, everything's <laughs> past life regression. <laughs> Suddenly, everything, you know, like you definitely see somebody going, okay, what can I make that sells? And I don't know if that's an editor telling them that or if it's just, well, I think this is what's going to sell on the part of the creator. But it's not as pure as all that. But it is, at the very least, usually one person's basic vision. So, so Heidi, I am curious. What's the state of the, of American comics publishing uh, as as presented by New York Comic Con this year? Um, I think another aspect of it that we need to talk about before I get to talking about American comics is mm. web web comics, webtoons, mm-hmm. tapas, and and all the UGC. You know, there was a an interview with the with the editor. Uh, I guess it was the editorial director of of webtoon line webtoon mm-hmm. at. Uh, the insider conference and yes. you know they said worldwide they make 900 million dollars um yep. which is pretty yeah. paid access but, yeah pretty, yes. i think that's merchandise too you know they didn't really say uh, what that he said paid that, access okay all right he said paid access now yeah. he also said something about it it includes this that and the other thing as well but he, you know, he, he quoted, I, I, since I wrote the story, he, he absolutely said $900 million in paid access to Webtoon content. So that could, yes, mean other kinds of things. But that's nearly a billion dollars. So Yeah. And also, that was one thing that definitely struck me at New York Comic Con this year is, I mean, it's true, convention culture sometimes takes a little while to catch up. Uh, as far as, as what the merchants on the floor are doing, what the panel programmers are doing. But I really felt like they were selling the comics world of four years ago, not the comics world of today. Like you really didn't see like, like some of the biggest properties out there are web native and you just didn't see hardly anything for them. Right. And like, yes, you buy, you, you, you buy the story online, but you're here at the convention in person. You can't tell me that all these comics fans at the convention are not on Tapas and Webtoon. I don't buy it. Uh, you know, like there's, for every book sold at Comic Con, a Comic Con, there are two or three pieces of ancillary gigaws in some way, shape or form affiliated with a comic book property. And you just didn't see that for any of the webtoon stuff, and you didn't see that for any of the web novel stuff, much of which is getting really big and even getting, like, animated adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like that was a bit of missing the boat. Maybe the industry will catch up. I hope so, because they're leaving money on the table. Yeah, well, I think you did see 
that kind of approach from Rocket Ship Entertainment, which is the company that does publish, you know, print versions of webtoons. And, uh, you know, they had, uh, uh, Leanne Kresick of Let's Play there and Nick, uh, Siluk, mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who does that? I, you know, I but can't remember the name, but it's, it's like about the it, heart and the brain and it's cute, you know? No, but, but what I mean is, yes, it wasn't that there was none. I'm just saying that, like, one company, $900 million. Like, no presence on the floor of anything related to any of those properties, practically. Well, I like, think... Well, well if you, it, you, it will get there. It will get there. But And I'm not saying there's none of it. I'm just saying it's not reflective of what's actually being read. Yeah. And it's going to take a while to catch up. But I, I think, to get back to the American comics response, and, you know, I put this in my story and, you know, talked to a lot of people about it, and... um there was barely any. But mm-hmm. as I said a million times, there was a giant statue of peace and drag Goku. There was no giant Batman or Spider-Man. You know, there was nothing. And uh, yep. the, the Marvel's booth, I mean, I never go in. It's always so crowded. And they do have signings there. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they don't promote their authors and their books. But it's really they do giveaways. It's really yeah. about fan yes. uh, engagement. And, and yeah. a very they had kind a cosplay of, contest up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do um, have stuff. But, but it, it wasn't. Real I, you intimate, know, I you would know? have to say that well, I, I and I understand what Kate is saying. I'd have to say that this is I think this is the moment of catch up for yeah. uh mobile web comics. Uh there is an enormous amount of media coverage now across the board about uh webtoons, tapas medias, manta, uh tappy tunes, I mean whatever you want to uh, you know, the uh, black sands uh, not a major point but but an interesting one. Um, it, once again, just uh, if, and I'm uh, uh, basing what I'm saying off of what Kate said. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. There yeah. is generating an enormous audience uh, that you know. I think what what Webtoon was trying to get out is that hey, we're trying to do this in print too. We're trying to get it to you any way you want it. Um, but so I yeah. hear that, but I do think that this is like, this may turn out to be a really, a, a, a moment, uh, in a, in a moment of change, um, yes. where yeah. these, these Wait, platforms are, their impact is really starting to be felt and you can't deny it anymore. Yeah. Well, it's starting to be felt. I'm just saying it's not reflected on the floor yet, right? Yes. Like we're feeling it in the industry. And, but a lot of those articles you're talking about, Calvin, are the ones that you or I or Heidi are reading because we're reading a lot of the industry press, the stuff like aimed at the people who are wondering at what publishers doing what it's, it's slowly, I think slowly trickling out to the brains of like retailers and merchandisers. I, and, oh, I think and you're right about retailers and merchandisers. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Well, I think on the trade side, people you know, I mean that the, the insider talks clearly. This was about this, like right. This is huge. Obviously, insider. this is huge. But yeah. you're right. Well, yeah. And the the real thing, though, I mean, as I mentioned again in my story, was that there was no real presence for for the American publishing industry. You know, IDW came, and that was it. You know, mm-hmm. there was like Storm King. I love Storm King, but you know, yeah. they are a boutique publisher, and um. 
I did, did, there's so many of the publishers were scattered around the floor and they did not have a neighborhood. Yeah. And, and they were not they, happy too, apparently. They were not happy. I mean, I didn't even put the, you know, the whole one of them told me they had such bad booth placement. They said, you know, it sucks, you know, bleep, bleep. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. I preferred your edited um, version. They yes. <laughs> very angry, very, very angry. And I don't blame them. I mean, um, there was, they, they were against walls. They were in the back, you know. Like, uh, you know, the one that everybody was talking about was Vault Comics. And, yeah. you know, I mean, they're a very prominent publisher. They sure you know, are. And they've come they've a long way in a short time. They have. And they've introduced a lot of creators mm. to the industry. And, I mean, they're really a very vital, vital publisher. And they just, you know, they had a small booth. They had a little 10 by 10 mm. booth with, you know, people signing, like, like at a flea market. And then they had this horrible location next to the Go-Go Curry stand. And, <laughs> I mean, is that is that where we're at? I mean, I... I do feel like, like it's not re- like what you're saying about Webtoon and Tapas. I mean, and a lot of people just didn't want to spend the money to to set up at New York Comic Con because it's a very yeah. expensive show. Yes. We know that. But who did set up? I mean, whatnot, of course. Well, there were three billion dollars literally yeah. so of course they had a giant booth but you know cgc had a giant booth yeah. and heritage auctions had a booth and and this thing called the comic mint had a booth like yeah. they're there all the time i don't even know they do variant <laughs> yeah. covers i mean they're just like all of these like i said all of the these kind of end user companies mm. that that sell the comic books are have a huge presence whereas the people who make the comic books are, are stuck stuck in the back of the room. It's it's. They they really need to have a. Well, they should have an independent comics neighborhood. They really should. It's it's yeah, really well, kind of. They should and they should and also. On the floor. I think, I think publishers would do well to do what what Image has done at various shows and and a few other publishers have, where they have one booth at which not only. Do they have their their creators signing? But they also are selling the books. Mm-hmm. They are selling. Like, did they have a major title this year in graphic novel form? They're selling it. Yeah. Because right. if you go to a you know DC's old booth or a Marvel's booth in various years, they never sell anything. And then, of course, it's all like a money loser then, right? A loss leader because they well, don't sell anything. Yeah, well, I've talked to lots and lots of publishers about selling at shows. And like at a large show like San Diego or New York Comic Con, it is it offsets some of the costs. But mm. they cannot, you know, if you have a giant uh, 30 by 30 booth there, you are just not going to make money unless you no, were, no, you know. Yeah. No, you're not. And, and, and book publishers are by – there, that's a, that's a, that's a strange, um, area to be in, uh, the, the publishers and in the book trade, they hate to see themselves in competition with retailers. Uh, although they do it more now than they did in the, back in the day. I mean, they're more and more, they're a little more comfortable setting, at least bringing in a retailer to right. sell their books for them on the floor. So there are issues around that, but at, at a consumer show, as far as I'm concerned, you really should be, selling books yeah and i mean no it won't it won't cover the price of a excessively elaborate enormous booth but i do think that you know the publishers are and should be part of the heart of the show and it would behoove the convention to you know give them good real estate even if they're not buying large real estate 
to give them, you know, something front and center where people can see them, even if they are only willing to buy a small table, put that small table somewhere everyone's going to see it. Well, um, Christina Rogers, the uh, the VP of Global Comics yes. uh, Portfolio mm. at Reed, did did respond to I asked her about uh, the lack of a neighborhood, and she did say we had some later bookings for a show floor this year that hindered the mm. creation of a proper pavilion area for several of our key exhibitors. We are already looking towards next year and how we can work with exhibitors earlier to ensure we create stronger neighborhoods to bring both exhibitors and fans the experience they are looking for on our show floor, which is. You know, kind of vague, but, um, I mean, I, that, like I said, the book publishers, they had a fine little area. Yes, they did. You know? Yeah. And, you know, Macmillan, PRH, um, um, uh, who am I leaving out? Um, oh, well, Abrams was Abrams, there. Disney was Abrams, there. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, you know, Simon and Schuster, yeah. Simon and Schuster. I mean, I went to Abrams, I mm-hmm. went to Disney. Disney had a very nice booth with lots of beautiful books. And I said, Oh, do you have any graphic novels? And like she went and she got two books and she said, Oh yeah, they're like Rick Reardon books or something. Well, listeners, we've lost Kate. Uh, she just hmm. moved, as she mentioned, which I can't imagine anything more hellish than moving yeah. the weekend of a con. And it sounds like her internet is just not up to the task. Uh, just in case we never get her back, Calvin and I, just to wrap it up. <laughs> we're going to wrap but it yeah, up, yeah. But I, I think we did, just as we were saying, I really did feel like this show was the first show of the new world. Yeah, I mean, look, the show is back. The, the attendance is up around the 200K mark again. Uh, I, I think in our New York Comic Con preview, you said, you describe New York Comic Con as the largest North American pop culture festival. Now that's saying a lot. Um, that, that's always been, you know, the province of San Diego. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, it, it sure seemed back to me the, the Javits Center is, is kind of got a little sheen on it now with the new addition mm. to it. Uh, it's really great. It's, uh, there, I mean, most of the, um, panels seem to be held down, uh, uh, at that end of the, the room. I, I interviewed, oh, and I, one thing I think we should mention to our, our listeners, we got a whole bunch of interviews live at the yeah. show. Uh, so just go to publisherswiki.com slash comics. I mean, there's a, there's about, Seven or eight of them up now, but there's more to come. So to yeah, speak. we have a, I have a couple more to get up there, but we all were running around and talking to folks. Yeah. And, um, you know, really just, uh, enjoying catching up with everyone and finding what everyone was mm. doing. And I mean, there was so much else. There were so many things, you know, there was Zest World, there was Substack, yes, there yeah, was, right. mm. there was Frank Miller's new publishing company, there yes. was, there was, you know, whatnot. They they had their they did have a little booth. They had a for big, a yeah, model. yeah. Uh, but they had another little booth for their publishing. I understand, but I never, couldn't find it. But uh, you know, there was Genshin Impact. There was mm-hmm. uh, there was the whole planet. But you know, I, it would be nice, I think, just to to mention the Harvey Awards. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the Harvey Awards. Um, this, I mean, look, the Harvey Awards are have the last few years obviously have been in recovery, interrupted by the pandemic. Uh, they moved back to New York. Uh, they've kind of been reorganized, revamped. Uh, I, I really think this is, this past Harvey Awards was one of the best we've seen of like Harvey Awards 2.0. Um, uh, you know, uh, 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 the good Asian, I, you know what? I can't say Pornchick's last name and I'm embarrassed. Pizza Show. Pizza Show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and Alexander, what, uh, to think, uh, to, Tefnegi. Tefnegi. Okay, very good. Um, uh, 
won the Harvey for uh, the book of the year for the good Asian, um, Squire by Nadia Shamas and Sarah Alfegi. Uh, I apologize for mangling it. Um, uh, the tale of a young girl determined to be a warrior in a fantasy Middle East. Yeah. Uh, took the Harvey Award for the best children's YA book. But of course, I mean, probably the emotional high point of the evening was, you know, Neil Gaiman being introduced yeah. by Karen Berger, uh, for the Harvey Awards Hall of Fame. Uh, it really was stupendous. It was just great. It was really great to be together again. Uh, they finally, you know, they put it in the River Pavilion that we've talked about, mm. this space. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful space. I, it's, it's one of the few spaces in the Javits yeah. Center that can genuinely said to be beautiful. Yeah. It's overlooking the river. Uh, and, and it's Harvey, actually better at night, I think. It actually, is frankly. way better at night. And it really was a nice space to hold the Harveys and to see everyone, to see mm. all of our friends again. Uh, Large and lively audience. Yeah, it was great hanging out afterwards and, you know, just, just catching up. So, yeah, from that standpoint, uh, there absolutely was a, a success. And, you know, listen, uh, Artist Alley. Oh, yes, was, was just amazing. It was just teeming. As, as always. Teeming. So, there was, so the, really the only thing that I would say didn't really have much of a presence was the American publishing, mm. comic book publishing industry. But, you know, they'll be back. Yeah, yes, be back. absolutely. I think they purposely, uh, a lot of them sat it out. Obviously, DC and Dark Horse had new owners and mm. Image decided to sit it out. And mm-hmm. so there was a, you know, everybody had a good reason. And, you know, we haven't even talked about COVID. Uh, yes. Remember that. I mean, there was a lot of unmasked people and there was a lot of anxiety about it. Now, as I said, both Kate and I feel a little crappy today, but I, I think it's just mm. in my case. I mean, I've been testing negative. I mean, so I'm hoping Let's I don't hope. think I Fingers got it. But I'll tell you one thing. I have been monitoring Twitter, and by the Monday after San Diego, it was like entire booths, entire Heck, yeah. companies. All had COVID. Oh, really? You know, mm. it was all over. Yeah. It was all over Twitter that so many people yeah. had COVID right immediately after. We're already on Thursday as we're recording this. And there's literally only a, two or three people, literally two or three people. One Good of them being, uh, you know, a comics pro. And, uh, hmm. another one was going to be a writer of mine and, and, uh, you know, he got COVID and then actually another writer of mine got COVID, uh, at the, hmm. the, when he got there the first day of the show, he tested positive. So they did not get it at New York Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, I don't, I mean, we'll see so far. Knockwood yeah. looks like. And I, I just like to do a shout out to, um, Bridget Alveson. Now, uh, kids comics, <coughs> excuse me, seem to have a muted presence yeah. at New York Comic Con. That said, there were plenty of kids-friendly like media properties all over the hall. But uh, Bridget Alveson did our our kids and uh, the PW's kids and comics at New York Comic Con uh, report. So that's at publisherswiki.com slash comics. Also, if you want to check that out. Uh, in fact, all of our coverage uh, of of uh, uh, New York Comic Con is there, including Heidi's stories, my stories. Um, so check us out. Yeah, a lot. Of, I think we got a lot of good coverage. Well, Kate, uh, we miss you. We're yes, sorry that we do. You, sorry. I'm sure next time we record this, you will be in fine fettle and your internet will be strong as an ox. You know, as usual, there will be more to come. <laughs>